Today is July 12th, 2015. I'm going to ask that you do this. There's a long gap between worship and now. So let's all stand to your feet if you're able. If you are able, I'm going to invite you to stand to your feet. We're going to read the Word of God together. And we're going to immediately get into what God is uh, continuing to say to us here today. Amen? Amen. Proverbs chapter 23 and verse 10. The Word says this, Do not move an ancient boundary stone or encroach on the fields of the fatherless, for their defender is strong. Everybody say, is strong. strong. He will take up their case against you. Mighty God, we come before You this morning. Lord, would You uh, quicken our hearts to what Your Spirit is trying to say to us today. Lord, thank You for coming and visiting with us during our worship time. Lord, that You, the great King of all creation, chooses to meet, He chooses to be enthroned on the praises of Your people. God, even now as we get into the Word, a continuing act of our worship before You, God, would You move upon our hearts? God, would You let Your Word sink into our spirits in a deep and significant way today? Lord, may we not move any ancient boundary stones in our life. Lord, those things that You have set up to save us, to protect us, to make sure that righteousness carries on. Lord, we don't want to move a single thing. We want to find out what those are and perfectly follow Your will. Lord, bless Your people today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. You could be seated. Today's title of the sermon is this. It's winning battles, losing wars. Winning battles, losing wars. I, I had contemplated, I have to be honest with you, that the title of the sermon, uh, we put all of our sermons online and and if you haven't visited our website, I encourage you to do that. There is a uh, over 10 years worth of sermons, thousands of sermons that are on there that you can go back and listen to. So we have to come up with a title. And I have to admit, the title is always the last thing that I think of. It's very rarely the first thing, and I kind of build it from there. And, and I thought through some clever titles for today. They, they were really kind of cool. And, and I realized that I'm not trying to be clever about this. I want actually to you guys to understand, if I, if I want you to walk away with one thing today, is that you can be winning battles and still losing the war. There's something that hit my heart and my soul this week as I was studying. Um, in our day and time where we have so many people that are trying to redefine everything. I think we've talked a lot about that recently. We're going to try to just redefine everything, including what love is. We're going to just redefine our entire society, and it's actually producing, obviously, not better results in our society. It's, it's causing chaos. It's causing people's heart to waver from what the actual truth is. Um, if you're a parent, you understand what it's like sometimes that you have to address and readdress what you've said. Uh, I'm, of course, not in my house, <laughs> I mean, but I hear that these things take place. No, it's in my house too, right? Um, so as we read here in Proverbs chapter 23 and verse 10, it's very important that we understand what the Scripture has to say. Do not move an ancient boundary stone. Um, this idea of, of uh, ancient boundary stones goes far beyond. Uh, it's taken all the way from back in, back in the day here in biblical times. It's even in modern times. Um, I, I didn't know this until I started researching, but in Washington, D.C., there are boundary stones that outline... Um, the entirety, if you're looking on a map, it looks like a diamond. And they put one every mile for 10 miles. And then every mile for the other 10 miles. And every mile, it's just this 10-mile diamond that they have there. And every mile, it's written with the date on one, 1791, 1792. It took them a little bit over a year to finish that process. And you can see the mile markers. Here's actually one of them from 1792. You can actually still go to Washington, D.C. area today. There's actually a bike path that you can see these boundary stones. Had no idea. I, I honestly didn't. Uh, like I said, on the other, in the past few years, they've put up fences and gates around it just to make sure that they don't get desecrated or broken because those stones actually, um, for the age that they are, they weren't made of stones. I mean, they're kind of fragile. And so they've, they've built these around there. But this idea comes all the way back from biblical times. Is there another one? Yeah. They now have put the little placard on the bottom. I think the Daughters of the American Revolution came in and, and started kind of taking over and caring for the sites because things were getting overgrown. But the idea here goes all the way back to biblical times. <laughs> There's actually not a whole lot that the Bible has to say. There's only a few scriptures that mention the boundary stones. 
let's turn to one other. Let's turn to one of them. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 19. We just read out of Proverbs. We're going to go to Deuteronomy chapter 19 and verse 14. Do not move your neighbor's boundary stone set up by your predecessors in the inheritance you receive in the land the Lord your God is giving you to possess. Um, Our modern culture likes to think that if it's old, it must be archaic and must be uh, therefore not needed. It says don't move the boundary stones that your predecessors set up. In other words, because they know if I set up a boundary stone, Doug and I have property next to each other. We've set up boundary stones. We've developed a good relationship. Neither one of us are going to move it move it because we both know where they belong. But what happens is over the course of time, Doug moves on, I move on, it's our kids, 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 and we realize, huh, if I just bump this a little bit, I get a little bit more land on mine, and it's the back corner, and truthfully, I know that their family never even goes out there anymore. But what I've done is I've bumped it. That Proverbs verse says what? It says, don't encroach on the land of the fatherless. This was designed to say, there are things in your life that should not move. There should be some boundary stones that just don't move for any reason, for any time, for all time, because God was very, very interested, not only in the land. Why? Because it was an inheritance. But he was also interested in people mistreating those who were fatherless. Those, so think about it. There's an, I know the, the house next door, they're orphans now. So I can just kind of bump over some land, and now look, I've increased my worth at their expense. Right? Does that make sense? These passages here set up some pretty important things for us to understand. (laughs) We've got to find out God's convictions for us and our families. Amen? Amen. I think there are some that God sets in place. None of us are allowed to move them. What happens when you start moving them? I don't know. Why don't you read the news? Why don't you watch the news? Isn't that exactly what we're doing? Some of these ancient boundary stones God has set in place and our, our society is saying, nah. We'll just move those over till it just fits what we want. And you see the chaos. You see the unrest in the church world. You see the celebration that's going on. We're so modern now. <laughs> We're so advanced. Shouldn't love win? Don't move that that your predecessors have set up. Why? Because there might have been a reason that they had it that way. Even if you don't know the reason, let's presume that the thousands of years before us, in this case of her defining marriage, thousands of years of human history, So what we're saying now is we're so advanced that the thousands of years of human history before and the clear scriptural precedent, we'll just start redefining the Bible while we're talking about these ancient boundary stones. Let me me just lay a a, a few things out for you as we'll continue in the text here in just a second. Here's what a personal friend of mine has done. He has personally moved boundary stones in his life. Well, brother, you shouldn't judge. I'm just telling you what's happening. He decided that the Old Testament, there was an Old Testament God and a New Testament God. That's where he started out. The God of the Old Testament was angry and judgment. And the God in the New Testament is loving and righteous. It started that, which actually sounds like a lot of churches that I know. This Old Testament, New Testament thing where they say it's divided. It's one book, folks. It's one story that God has presented to us. It started there, and then once he decided that there was an old and a new, then he could decide that he didn't like things in the old. He didn't like the idea of God punishing. How he couldn't, he wrestled with this idea, and and now looking back, I realize that he's been wrestling with for years with it. That it was, well, look, I can excuse that God of judgment because he's Old Testament. I can excuse, in other words, not just excuse him like, it's okay, like, I can ignore it. Let me, let me pick a better word. I can ignore that God of the Old Testament because I just don't find it that I like it. <laughs> so he went from a God who seems duplicitous to his own walk became completely duplicitous because he's ignored what God has said. He's now, the easy part, if he can ignore the Old Testament, if he can ignore the idea of judgment, if he can ignore the idea of hell and punishment, well, then we can get to today and, hey, Love wins. Yay. Everybody's going to be okay in the end. A very universalism approach to what God has said. Um, I can assure you that our church is not into a universalistic idea of judgment. What are you talking about, Wade? 
the uh, a universalistic says that it really doesn't matter because in the end, all dogs go to heaven. That's the shortest version of universalism that I can, I can think to put it in. All dogs go to heaven. You might not go to heaven now, but you'll go to heaven later. Um, how about we not move the ancient boundary stones? They're set up for a reason, for clarity, for life. We have to pay attention what God's doing. Now, there are some things and some convictions that God will place deeply on you as a family. And you'll have to find out what those are. You'll have to find out the differences that come. And I understand, and we're fighting for this as a Sutherland family. Lord, we know that there are some big boundary stones that we're just not going to move. We don't have the right to. But Lord, what is it that you're specifically calling my family to? What is it that I need to input into my children, into my wife, into my neighbors that can only really come from the Sutherland crew? The Sutherland crew wants to be this in the kingdom of God because I think you've designed some specific things. I, I really think that you want us, and we're not talking about holy and unholy. Okay, does everybody understand? Yeah. We're talking about, Lord, what is it? Maybe we don't do something. We don't even think it's sin. But maybe we just don't do it because we feel like that's a boundary stone that God has said, don't, don't cross that. That's important that your family not do that. Well, why, God? He'll... Sh- he may show us one day and he may not. And that's his prerogative because he is the ruler of my life. I don't need an explanation from him. He doesn't owe me an explanation for why he's made this particular part of the pottery the way he has. He's, he is the, he's the potter. He gets to make me however he chooses to. Amen. So when we're looking at this, we've got to find these things because they become anchor points for your entire walk. Let's turn to Numbers chapter 22. <clears throat> Numbers chapter 22 and verse 7. We're going to start. Amen. You guys are beating me there. I like it. We're going to talk about a man named Balaam. We're going to talk about a man named Balaam here. Numbers chapter 22 and we're going to start in verse 7. It says this, The elders of Moab and Midian left taking with them the fee for divination. So what had happened is, <laughs> there is about to be, uh, God is trying to take care of some things here. If you go back up to verse 2, you see, Now Balak, son of Zippor, saw all that Israel had done to the Amorites, and Moab was terrified because there were so many people. Indeed, Moab was filled with dread because of the Israelites. Everybody say, filled with dread. I hope you don't gloss over phrases like this. The Bible is so full of beauty and so full of description that it's supposed to catch your attention to draw you to understanding what's going on. Verse 4, the Moabites said to the elders of Midian, this horde is going to lick up everything around us as an ox licks up the grass of the field. All these people, they're going to create problems for us. So Balak, son of Zippor, who was king of Moab, so we're talking about a king at that time, sent messengers to summon Balaam, son of Beor, who was at Pethor, near the river in the native land. Balak said, A people has come out of Egypt. <laughs> they cover the face of the land and have settled next to me. Now come and put a curse on these people because they are too powerful for me. Just curse them. Perhaps then I will be able to defeat them and drive them out of the country. For I know that those you bless are blessed and those you curse are cursed. Then we get back to seven. The elders of Moab and Midian left taking with them the fee for divination. Apparently, ladies and gentlemen, there's a going rate for you to go and talk to Balaam. There's a, on his website apparently, there was a fee scale, right? The fee for divination. When they came to Balaam, they told him what Balak had said. Spend the night here, Balaam said to them, and I will bring you back the answer the Lord gives me. Wow. Hmm, Interesting. So the Moabite princes stayed with him. God came to Balaam and asked, I'm sorry, I don't want to rush past that. God came to Balaam. Doesn't say an angel of the Lord. Doesn't say that God spoke to Balaam. Doesn't say that God spoke to, you know, visit him in a dream. It says that God came to Balaam and asked the question. Okay, I'm... We're going we're gonna to go somewhere with this, but I, I need us to not rush through the story. Most of the people in this church know the story, and you can preach on it at a drop of a hat, right? 
But let's not rush past what it's saying. God came to Balaam and asked, Who are these men with you? Verse 10, Balaam said to God, Balak, son of Zippor, king of Moab, sent me this message. A people that has come out of Egypt covers the face of the land. Now come and put a curse on them for me. Perhaps then I will be able to fight them and drive them away. (laughs) So Balaam is talking to the God of the group of people that Balak wants to curse. But God said to Balaam, do not go with them. You must not put a curse on those people because they are blessed. By the way, isn't it funny that God talks to, to Balaam and he says, don't put a curse on who? Those, Those people. It's his people, right? But he's talking to Balaam in terms that Balaam understands here. Uh, don't, uh, don't do that. Don't put a curse on those people because they are blessed. You're not going to be able to curse what God himself has blessed. This is a very important part in this story. The next morning, Balaam got up and said to, the, to Balak's princes, go back to your own country for the Lord has refused to let me go with you. You know what? This should be the final verse of this story. Anything else beyond here, and it's going to go on for another three or four chapters, by the way. Anything beyond this verse right here is wrong. Okay? It sounds like Balaam went and he, God visited him, came to him, talked to him. He turns around and apparently does what God says. Apparently. Verse 14, so the Moabite princes returned to Balak and said, Balaam refused to come with us. Then Balak sent other princes, more numerous and more distinguished than the first. So we've upped the ante, right? We've got fancier princes. (laughs) Maybe they sent Samira this time, that way. Much better looking, right? With the prince there. Um, they came to, more distinguished than the first, they came to Balaam and said, this is what Balak son of Zipporah says. Do not let anything keep you from coming to me because I will reward you handsomely and do whatever you say. Come and put a curse on these people for me. Verse 18, but Balaam answered, even if Balak gave me his palace filled with silver and gold, I could not do anything great or small to go beyond the command of the Lord my God. Um, ladies and gentlemen, if you're reading through this like I did the first time, at this moment, at this very moment of what we just said, Balak is doing good or he's not doing good? Doing good. Okay. We'll see. Trick question. Here in this moment, has, has, has God already spoken to him? Okay. It seems like he is doing good. It seems like he is winning battles here. I would agree with you that it looks like this. Let's keep reading just a little bit more. Verse 19. Now stay here tonight as the others did, and I will find out what else. Everybody say, what else? The Lord will tell me. What did the Lord tell him the first time? No. The answer is no. I have uh, children in my home who are incredible. They are godly. They are going to be leaders in the kingdom of God, and I know it just as sure as I'm alive. They're going to far exceed me. Far. Oh my goodness. I will be glad to be the little step stool that they step on and be just that much taller. Can I tell you that as my kids are working these things out, there are some times when dad will say something, and then the negotiation begins. Do y'all know what I'm saying? If you've ever had kids, if you've ever been around kids, perhaps this happens if you're not married with you and a spouse or you and a friend, where you say one thing, and uh, I have a friend who, who is a, a salesman in Austin, and he said, you don't begin the sales process until they tell you no. If you're a salesman, he was like, no, man, not. all right, now it's on. I'm not a salesman, so I was like, oh, I guess you said no. And he's like, no, that's when the actual sales process starts is when they tell you no. That's kind of what goes on here. That's kind of what goes on in my house sometimes. Let's, let's talk about it, Dad. Well, no, I don't want this to happen. Well, clearly, Dad, perhaps I can bring you some more information. <laughs> oh, wise father, perhaps you haven't considered this. No, I've considered that, and my answer is still no. Great father, we can see how wise you are. And we know that thou art just only after our good if. 
Perhaps we can bargain with you in this way. Is this not exactly what Balaam's doing? It appears that he's winning a battle, but he's losing a war. Verse 19, Now stay here tonight as the others did, and I will find out what else the Lord will tell me. Now, I'm going to mess with your theology a little bit more. You ready for this? Verse 20, That night God came to Balaam and said, Since these men have come to summon you, go with them, but do only what I tell you to do. Sounds very much like the first time around, okay? Let's go um, two more verses and then we're going to stop and talk. Balaam got up in the morning, saddled his donkey, and went with the princes of Moab. Right? Because God told him to. But God was very angry when he went. (laughs) Are you getting it? Apparently, there's something else going on in the story below what's going on in the text. We can see what's going on, and if you just read it, it almost doesn't make sense. It seems like Balaam is going along and saying, God, what would you have me do? God says, don't go. Okay, I cannot go. And then they come back and they offer more. And then he goes, well, let me go ask the Lord again. And God says, go. And so he goes. And yet, verse 22 says, but God was very angry when he went. So can I presume, we're going we're gonna to show this scripturally here in just a second, but I want you to take a look at what goes on. In our world, what we do is we see people who are losing the war, but we think they're doing okay because on the outside, they seem to be saying the right things. They seem to be doing the right things with their life. It seems to be working out. God seems to be talking to them. But they're losing the war because there's something else going on and God is getting angry with them. Is this not exactly what's happening here? Because if, if you don't know the end of the story, Balaam is not a good guy. It does not work out well for Balaam. Balaam in the New Testament is used as an example of how to do things wrong. If I say the name Benedict Arnold, if you know your American history, the name Benedict Arnold is associated with what? Being a traitor. His name equals traitor for an American society. Balaam equals wickedness in Scripture. I'll get specifically about what kind of wickedness here in a second. So when you see this, God was very angry. Then you know what we get to? We get to the story of Balaam's donkey. Right? We're all familiar with that. Donkey comes along. (laughs) This great seer of the Lord, a donkey sees an angel who's opposing him, and the donkey tries to go off in the grass. He beats the donkey kicks him, gets him back on the road. The donkey kind of gets between wedged and trying to get away from the angel and hurts Balaam's foot up against the wall and gets off and beats the donkey again. Gets to a pass where there's no other way to go. Perhaps God hemmed him in with some boundary stones and literally the donkey just lays down. This great seer, this mighty, mighty one who can hear from God has no idea that God is opposing him in those moments. The donkey just lays down and then starts talking to him. Hey. Hey, man. Say, bro. Do you know me? How long have I been with you? Well, I guess you've been around a long time. He starts talking to the donkey, right? Have you ever known me to do this? Do, do I act this way? Is this me? You know, now that you think about it, donkey who's talking to me, he don't ever do that. Man, there's an angel right in front of you, bro. Oh, and then he sees it and falls down, right? I'm going to show you some scriptures here. They're going to show you that Balaam's heart was so wrong in this entire process. He goes on. I'm just going to tell you, I'm going to shorten down the next couple of chapters to just a two-minute summary. He goes on. They literally go out and make an altar, seven different altars, and burn bulls and rams on these altars. Sounds right. They're, they're going to make sacrifices to God and perhaps God will come and curse His own people. Right actions. Maybe they're winning a, a battle, but they're losing the war. And God says, I'm not going to let you c- curse the people that I've blessed. And Balaam turns around and actually prophesies over the kingdom of Israel and blesses them. They go to a different place. Same thing happens. 
tries to curse him for money, for wealth, for prestige and honor. Blesses him. Tries a third time. Blesses him. A fourth word comes forth that prophesies about the very Messiah. Balaam literally prophesies about a star that will rise in the house of Jacob, a golden scepter that will be extended to his people. Incredible, beautiful. And Balaam is still a wicked man. Turn to Numbers chapter 31. I just want to show you a few things. Because the context of this is, one, we can't move boundary stones. Two, it's possible for us to be winning battles but losing the war in our life. Numbers chapter 31 and verse 15. When you get done with Balaam's story, it actually almost seems like disjunct into the next Scripture that it starts talking about in Numbers 25. It almost seems like, hey, we're talking about this and we see Balaam and he's prophesying and he's blessing because he can't curse. And then it just goes on with Moses and the people, they become sexually immoral. And you're like, oh, I guess we just started on a new, onto a new theme. And it takes a few chapters later for us to be able to piece these things together. Numbers 31, uh, let's start in verse 15. Have you allowed all the women to live? He asked them. They were the ones, listen to this, who followed Balaam's advice and were the means of turning the Israelites away from the, from the Lord and what happened at Peor. That was the last place of blessing where they were trying to get him to curse. So that a plague struck the Lord's people. While he was there pronouncing a blessing on the people, his very next action was to encourage women of Moab to go sleep with the men of Israel to pollute what was going on. The same one who the Lord came and spoke to, literally, he ends up meeting his demise because he is a wicked man. Literally advising women how to do this, using whatever influence that he had and turning them towards wickedness. Let's go back to Numbers. Um, let's go back to... I'm sorry. Turn my page here. Let's go back to Numbers 22. Verse 13. We've already read this. We're just going back over it. Knowing that the end of this man is wicked. Let's read it again. Verse 13. The next morning Balaam got up and said to Balak's princess, Go back to your own country, for the Lord has refused to let me go with you. So here's what I'm going to add to this. I'm going to add that there was something about the way that he said it that let them know that they could come back and try again. Have you ever said something as a parent, as a husband and wife, hey, I don't want to do that. Everybody in the room knows that you're going to be okay with it. Right? Ah, don't do that. And the kids go, I'm going to ignore that and I'm going to wait 10 minutes I'm going to ask them again. Right? I had that perfected as a kid. I knew that I could go ask my dad for something he would always say no. No was just the first answer. Hey, Dad, can we? No. Yes, sir. Hey, Dad. Now, now, now tell me what's going on. <laughs> Got him. I mean, Dad, I was going to go have a Bible study with friends. Hey, you know, whatever. You know, but I knew, I, knew the, I knew the process to get back to him because there was something about in the way he said it that I knew it wasn't a final thing. I'm going to say that what Balaam says to them in whatever context and however he showed it, they knew that they can come back with more. Verse 18, But Balaam answered him, Even if Balak gave me his palace filled with silver and gold, I could not do anything great or small to go beyond the command of the Lord my God. Um, that sounds really good, right? I mean, I mean, even if you gave me all the gold in the world. It's like Inception, right? I'm trying to plan an idea in your head. Even if you gave me a car full of gold. I mean, I would never go against the Word of the Lord. I think Balaam is literally 
trying to slide an idea towards these princes so that they'll see what he'll give, so he can see what he can get out of it. That's the Sutherland interpretation. You can like that. You can ignore that. Based on some more things that we can read. Let's turn to Jude chapter 11. Jude. You can turn to Revelation and back up a page. Did I say chapter 11? I'm sorry. Jude is one chapter. I meant to say verse 11. Jude 11. It says this, Woe to them, they have taken the way of Cain. They have rushed for profit into Balaam's error. (laughs) Brother, I mean, you, you just should read the Scripture. There's a lot of... You're inferring a lot. Yes, I am inferring a lot. Yes, and I will now show you the Scriptures that lead me to infer what I did. Woe to them, they have taken the way of Cain. They have rushed for profit into Balaam's error. Somebody who's going to use a gift and make it for profit. A gift that they have and make it for personal gain only. Turn to 2 Peter chapter 2. Just go back a few pages. 2 Peter chapter 2. And let's read verse 15. They have left the straight way and wandered off to follow the way of Balaam. Benedict Arnold, right? Here's here's the equivalent of saying he's a Benedict Arnold. They're using his name so that the children of Israel will understand a bigger concept. They have left the straight way and wandered off to follow the way of Balaam, son of Beor, who loved the wages of wickedness. He loved. I mean, even if you were to give me a palace full of gold and silver... Wink, wink, nod, nod. I would never disobey God. Wow. This was a a wicked and a greedy man. Look at the next verse. But he was rebuked for his wrongdoing by a donkey, a beast without speech, who spoke with a man's voice and restrained the prophet's madness. Dude was crazy. If you just read through this, and you see these exploits of what goes on, you go, God, I guess he was doing some things. How do we balance these things out? I'm saying that sometimes success is not success. I'm saying that just because someone looks like they're doing it the right way and they seem to be blessed on one end of it does not necessarily mean that the God of all creation is happy with them. I'm saying that even prophecy doesn't necessarily assure you that God is happy with your life. I I want everyone in this room to prophesy. We want everyone to be filled with the Spirit in here and prophesy. Of course we do. We want all the gifts and all the fruit of the Spirit to be at work. But you know what? That is not actually the sign of whether your life is right or not. It could just be a gracious God that is going to use you, if you'll allow the story here, perhaps He'll use a donkey to accomplish His task. Perhaps it's not about you at all. And if you start taking every time you prophesy to somebody as an automatic sign of God's favor on your life, you're missing the point. You're missing the point. If you move the boundary stone and still can prophesy, just because God didn't strike you dead in that moment, doesn't mean that He's pleased with you. I'm preaching a lot better than you're responding. I mean, I really am. I love you. Perhaps you're just letting that sink in. <laughs> get that thing back in place as human beings we look and we say basically the ends always justify the means as long as it works out okay then it's okay God actually thinks the complete opposite of that no matter how it works out because he's got other things going on and he might just need to bless somebody If we can watch pornography on a Saturday night and get up and go to church on Sunday morning and have God move and speak to us, please don't presume that the God of all creation is happy with you. If we can ignore God's calling in our everyday life and we can come and sing like an angel or we can preach like the men of renown and you don't have 
an understanding of what God is calling and asking of you. Please do not think that your ends justifies your means. The only means that get justified are when we do it His way, when we don't move the boundary stones, when we see the boundary stones and go in, I will order my life around what He has said. It would literally create safety zones. It would literally create the entirety of my life for me to do exactly what He's told me to do. I don't need anything else. I don't need to stand on the wrong side of the boundary stone trying to explain about God's grace. It is His grace that you don't die that moment that you cross over the line. But you know what? The worst thing in the world for you is to keep being successful. That's That's the worst thing in the world for us is to continue to be successful and God not just drop a hammer on us the very first time. God, it sounds, sounds crazy, doesn't it, in our world? Um, when I was a music teacher, <laughs> again, God has been, I know that I'm, I'm a strange, I feel like a strange bird most of the time. I really do. Music teacher, about to go to a competition with my band, either marching band or the concert band, and I would, uh, there were years and I got in there and before, say, a marching competition, I'd go, you know what? We're going to go tomorrow, next week, and we're going to go to this competition. And I hope that you guys get a score that reflects how much work you're putting in right now. And they just looked at me. Problem is, is you're some pretty talented little people. And we're going to go in there and we're going to do fine. But you and I both know in this room, might win our entire division. We are the best people there in our division. It's very possible with you people. And it's completely going to be the wrong idea for you. That's the worst thing that's going to happen to you. And they would just go, how do you respond to that? One of my rants on the podium, right? Because the effort that you're putting in, I hope that God rewards you accordingly. And we would go in and sometimes we would do complete, we would do great. The reason I was so against that principle is because they were going to think that they could dog it all the time and come in and pull it out at the last minute. And I had bigger things that I wanted to teach those students. Be faithful. Imagine how good you could have been if you actually worked hard the whole time. Then you wouldn't, because you're not trying to just compare yourselves to the other bands around. There's a standard that we're supposed to be living up to and it's not based on the people around us. It's based on a holy God. I tried to teach my little band nerds about this. Here, sometimes the worst thing for us is when we can prophesy because we think we're winning and we're really losing. Turn to Romans chapter 1. How does this get this way? How does it happen? Why would God speak to Balaam? Why would God allow this to happen? Romans chapter 1. I hope this is making sense to you. Romans chapter 1, and let's start in verse 21. Are you there? For although they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God nor gave thanks to Him. But their thinking became futile. Became futile. uh, The word, you know what that means? That means you're doing something and it has, it's, it's no good whatsoever. It's useless. There's no purpose to their thinking. Really? And their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools. Isn't that exactly what's going on today? (laughs) Look, Pastor Wade, if you were only as enlightened as us, I had someone tell me this to my face. Well, brother, if you would, you know, I mean, God's done a lot of things and He's progressed and reveals Himself differently. And one day when you get enlightened enough, you'll understand our perspective. I wanted to vomit. Wanted to vomit right there. Because it says, although they claimed to be wise, they became fools. Huh. And exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. Verse 24. I want you to notice this phrase. Therefore, God gave them over. Everybody say that. Gave them over. Say it with me again. Gave them over. Therefore, God gave them over in their sinful desires and the sinful desires of their heart to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the Creator who is forever to be praised. Amen. I love that little praise break right in the middle of His slamming what people are doing. Right? 
and worship and serve created things rather than the Creator. Oh, hey man, who is praised? Who is forever praised? Verse 26, because of this, God, say it with me, gave them over. Sorry, here we go. Back to 26. It's okay. We'll practice. I'm a band director. I don't mind repeating things for the repetition here. Verse 26, everybody with me. Because of this, God, say it with me, gave them over to shameful lust. Even their women exchanged natural relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed indecent acts with other men. By the way, the fact that they're committing them, our current agenda of homosexuality just says, hey, but monogamy is okay. Nope, it's an indecent act. Just so you understand part of the argument that's out there. And received in in themselves the due penalty for their perversion. Verse 28, Furthermore, since they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, I need you to read this next phrase with me, He gave them over to a depraved mind. So He gave them over, in verse 24, to their sinful desires. In verse 26, He gave them over to shameful lusts. In verse 28, he gave them over to a depraved mind. Um, I need us to have a little bit bigger and more mature perspective on what God gives us over to. Perhaps the God of all creation understands what's actually in our hearts and whatever you are hungry for, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for what? For righteousness. What happens? They're going to be filled. Amen. If you're actually hungry for the things of God, I have no fear that I'll get turned over to something bad because I want to be so hungry that He'll fill me with the right things. But you know what else He'll do? He will allow you to be filled with whatever you're really hungry for. If you're really hungry for monetary gain like Balaam, you know what He's going to let you do? He's going to let you get it. He's going to turn you over. He's going to give you over to the very thing that you truly desire in your heart. If you are truly desiring to build your own kingdom, you know what He's going to do? He's going to go ahead and let you have enough rope. What's the old saying? To hang yourself with. But but that's not the God of love that I serve. It is. If you love Him, will He not move heaven and earth on your behalf? Will He not stop the sun in the sky to help you? If you love Him... If you obey Him, He will do... He is not bound. He will do anything necessary to fill you. He'll fill you while you're sleeping. He'll fill you while you're awake. He'll fill you while you're driving. He'll fill you while... It doesn't matter. His goodness and His mercy will rain upon you if you're actually hungry for Him. Turn to Psalms chapter 81. We're going to go through several Scriptures relatively quickly here to help us Get this point. We'll see what the Scriptures have to say as a whole. Psalms 81. Psalm 81. Come on, y'all help me out. Are you there? At least getting there. Psalms 81, verse 11. But my people would not listen to me. Israel would not submit to me. Huh. Look at what verse 12 says. So I gave them over to their stubborn hearts, to follow their own devices. Turn back a few pages. Psalm 78, starting in verse 27. It says this, He rained meat down on them like dust, flying birds like sand on the seashore. He made them come down inside their camp all around their tents. You guys remember what this is referring to? They had come out, God had provided manna. All they had to do was go out and collect manna each day for what they needed. Couldn't get more than you needed for that day, unless it was the day before the Sabbath, right? It would keep, it, it wouldn't keep, it would spoil if you got too much. So each day, you would come out. Well, they were complaining because they were like, we're so tired of manna. It's the same thing every day. God says to him, and he says, all right, you want some, you want some meat? You want meat? I'll give you quail till it comes out your nose. That's actually what the scripture says. I'll, I'll give you so much that you're going to get sick of it for 30 days in a row. Okay? 
What do you think God understood in that moment? They're actually not arguing about their diet. They are not pleased with the God of all creation that is giving them everything they need. They are arguing with the God about how He's providing for their very sustenance. Come on, I mean, I mean, you know, I know you're just raining down food on us and all, but at least we could have some meat with it. Really? Really, do we want to be that displeased with the Lord and how He operates in our life? If I take it out of quail and manna, if I leave it as manna and quail, you know what it sounds like? It sounds like something I can ignore in, my, in modern day and time. When I make it about a heart that's not pleased with how God is providing provision in my life, oh, that has a whole lot more to do with me than, it, than not. It's about how he's doing this. He made them come down inside their camp. Verse 29, they ate till they had more than enough. Look what the Scripture says. For he had given them what they craved. But before they turned from their food they craved, even while it was still in their mouths, God's anger rose against them. He put to death the sturdiest among them, cutting down the young men of Israel. Apparently there was a type of plague that went on there. Fine, you want the quail? Along with the quail came judgment. You, we have to become more mature in our thinking than to think, well, I mean, it was just a preference. No, it, was, it showed that their hearts were wicked and dissatisfied with the God of all creation. Are you dissatisfied today? Are you looking at the God of all creation saying, I don't like the way that you've done this. I don't like my life. You may be in charge, but I'm telling you, I don't like it. I have to have something different because clearly the way you're doing it is not, suffi not sufficient for me. Be careful that God just doesn't give you everything that you actually want. We understand in terms of parenting and children, if you let a kid, maybe a small enough kid, they might eat ice cream every meal. Such a trite example, right? We all can go, well, clearly that would be not good for the kid. But somehow we think it's okay when we get older for us to get whatever we want, for us to get it however we want to get it, for us to be dissatisfied with the actual nutrition and the, and the plan that God has for us, the healthy way that He's going to give it to us. Turn to 1 Kings chapter 22. Oh, you're going to like this one. Do you really love the Word? Yeah. My prayer for weeks on end. I've prayed this in the past, but it's come to me in a new way. Lord, I so want to be hungry for Your truth. I so We live in a world that is hungry for everything else but actually who You are. Lord, don't let me be deceived. Don't let me be <laughs> angry at You for the provision that You bring to my life. 1 Kings chapter 22, and we're going to read starting in verse 7. But Jehoshaphat asked, Is there not a prophet of the Lord here whom we can inquire? There were plenty of prophets around in this story. You can go back and read it. For time's sake, I'm going to try to get through it. But plenty of prophets around. Jehoshaphat asked, Is there not a prophet of the Lord? There's somebody actually can hear from God in this case. The king of Israel answered Jehoshaphat, There is still one man. Though whom we can acquire of, uh, through whom we can inquire of the Lord. But I hate him because he never prophesies anything good. <laughs> I hate that guy. He always prophesies bad stuff to me, not good stuff. Perhaps it's almost like the king of Israel was trying to build around him teachers and prophets that could appease his itching ear. Hmm. I hate him because he never prophesies anything good about me, but always bad. He is Micaiah, son of Amiah. The king said, the king should not say that, Jehoshaphat said. In other words, he was talking bad about the prophet, and Jehoshaphat was like, yeah, you really shouldn't say that. So the king of Israel called one, one of his officials, bring Micaiah, son of Imlah, at once. And dressed in their royal robes, the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, were sitting on their thrones at the threshing floor by the entrance of the gate of Samaria. With all the prophets prophesying before them. Two kings on a throne, everyone else around them prophesying. Okay? There's the picture. Now Zedekiah, son of Kaniah, had made iron horns and he declared, this is what the Lord says. 
but these you will gore the Armenians until they are destroyed. Okay. You can look up here for just a second. Two kings sitting on the throne, each, right? <laughs> People prancing around with horns on their head. King, this is what you will do to the bad guys. This is what... Because surely if I'm more animated, then it will make it more godly. Right? Verse 12, all the pro- other prophets were prophesying the same thing. Attack Remeth Gilead and be victorious, they said, for the king will... For the Lord will give it into the king's hands. The messenger who had gone to summon Micaiah said to him, Look, as one man, the other prophets are predicting success for the king. God is not after finding a majority. All of the other people were saying, Success! Let your word agree with theirs and speak favorably. Verse 14, but Micaiah said, As surely as the Lord lives... As surely as the Lord lives, I can tell him only what the Lord tells me. When he arrived, the king asked him, Micaiah, shall we go to war against Ramoth Gilead or shall I refrain? Sorry, this is what I should have done. Attack and be victorious. He answered, for the Lord will give it into the king's hands. They want him to lie. Or they want him to agree. So Micaiah walks up and is like, yeah, so great king. Go ahead, for the Lord Almighty will give you victory. Verse 16. The king said to him, How many times must I make you swear to tell me nothing but the truth in the name of the Lord? Clearly, because of the body language and the way that it was said, the king knew he was just doing what they were expecting out of him. Verse 17, Then Micaiah answered, I saw all Israel scattered on the hills like sheep without a shepherd. Wow. Wow. And the Lord said, These people have no master. Let each one go home in peace. The king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, Didn't I tell you that he never prophesies anything good about me, but only bad? Micaiah continued, Therefore, hear the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne with all the host of heaven standing around him. Listen to this, folks. On his right hand and on his left. And the Lord said, Who will entice Ahab into attacking Ramoth Gilead and going to his death there? Apparently, this is some type of heavenly uh, session that's going on. They're having a powwow in the heavenlies. One suggested this and another that. Verse 21, Finally, a spirit came forward, stood before the Lord and said, I will entice him, meaning Ahab. Verse 22, By what means, the Lord asked? I will go out and be a lying spirit in the mouths of all his prophets, he said. What? This is not your Sunday school passage, right? God says to the spirit, hey, how are we going to get this thing to happen? One of the spirits says, "Um, I, sir, will step up and be a lying spirit. And the Lord says, what? You will succeed in enticing him. Go and do it. (laughs) Um, Perhaps the Lord will give you over to whatever it is that you desire most in your heart. And if you're actually looking to only be justified in your actions, in your beliefs, in your path, perhaps you will find things that actually support what you think because it was what your itching ears desired. You wanted to hear it a certain way, so God sent you what your, what your heart desired. Why would God do that? I would imagine that part of it is on the Day of Judgment. What are you going to have to say? I gave you exactly what you wanted. I gave you exactly, exactly to the fullness of what your heart desired. And it will make it so clear whether our heart's full desire is on God or whether it's on anything else. Whether it's on the boundary stones that we let them in place or if we moved them. It's going to be so very clear. Lest you think this is just an Old Testament passage, turn to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. We're going to start in verse 9. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 9 says this, The coming of the lawless one will be in accordance with the work of Satan displayed in all kinds of counterfeit miracles, signs, and wonders and in every sort of evil that deceives those who are perishing. Listen to this. 
You need to commit this to memory. This should make you stop and think. If it doesn't, I encourage you to examine your heart. They perish because they refused to love the truth and so be saved. This whole love wins idea is that God loves them so much that He's just, it doesn't really matter what they do because in the end, they just get saved. That apparently doesn't jive with any of the scripture. They perish because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. For this reason, God sends them a powerful delusion so that they will believe the lie and so that they will be condemned who have not believed the truth but have delighted in wickedness. Balaam, who was doing seemingly correct things, actually delighted in wickedness. It doesn't say that in numbers, but when you start building the picture through Scripture, you go, huh, the only, really this logical outcome in this, the spiritual outcome in this is that he must have, he loved wickedness. It was something that he kept in his heart, even though the actions, <laughs> he lost his war, even though he was winning many battles. The Bible is so full of making sure that we understand what our desires are all about, but I want to finish up in Judges chapter 14. Judges chapter 14. This is the story of Samson. From little children, we start learning about the story of Samson, right? Chapter 14, verse 1 says this, Samson went down to Timnah and saw there a young Philistine woman. When he returned, he said to his father and mother, I have seen a Philistine woman in Timnah. Now get her for me as my wife. (laughs) She's kind of pretty. His father and mother replied, isn't there an acceptable woman among your relatives or among all your people, all our people? Must you go to the uncircumcised Philistines to get a wife? But Samson said to his father, get her for me. She's the right one for me. Verse four, his parents did not know that this was from the Lord. It was from the Lord who was seeking an occasion to confront the Philistines for at that time they were ruling over Israel. I'm going to propose to you this thought. It was from the Lord, but it doesn't necessarily mean that this is going to work out well for Samson. Because perhaps Samson's heart was already convinced and so God used that to cause this occasion to battle his enemies. Samson went down to Timnah together with his father and mother as they approached the vineyards of Timnah. Um, Samson was known as a Nazarite. Don't cut his hair. Not supposed to drink any fermented drink. In this case, Samson's mother was also supposed to follow those rules. So they're going down to the vineyard. (laughs) Well, I know I'm not supposed to drink because I'm a Nazarite, but perhaps I'll just go hang out in a vineyard. Really? You're going to go down to the vineyard? Hmm. Suddenly a young lion came roaring toward him. The Spirit of the Lord came upon him in power so that he tore the lion apart with his bare hands. Victory! Yay! You beat the lion! And you're still in the vineyard! You're still there. Ladies and gentlemen, please don't let your successes in life lull you asleep thinking that God is with you. Praise God, I hope that you can defeat every lion that's in front of you. Amen, of course I do. Is that really what I'm getting after? No. Perhaps you should examine if you're in the vineyard and the lion could have been a warning to you. And you should have retreated from the vineyard where you were going instead of worrying only about killing the lion. Perhaps God could have done the same thing with Samson that he did with Daniel and caused the lion's mouth to be shut. What if he would have just walked away and said, Lord, I was walking in the area of sin. I I need to run away from that. There's no way to tell because that's not the way the story happened, right? But what, what is the vineyard in your life that you keep just kind of hanging around? Praying for God to beat one more lion. How about you stay away from the lion? How about you don't go where the lions are? Amen. 
if, if I'm going to pay you to look after my kids, I don't, need you to, I don't need to see how close to a line of death that you can get with my kids and go, hey, but they're still alive. You and I are going to have a problem. I want you to keep my children safe if they're with you. I don't need you to get on an edge of, of psychosis, of insanity here. Keep them safe, man. <laughs> we went and we got in the lion's cage and I beat the lion. What were you doing in the lion's cage with my kids? Should be the question. And yet, we don't live our Christian lives that way sometimes. Turn to chapter 16. I'm going to wrap this up. Verse 4. Sometime later, he fell in love. This was after he had slept with a prostitute in verse 1. This is verse 4. Sometime later, he fell in love with a woman in the valley of Sorek, whose name was Delilah. The rulers of the Philistines went to her and said, See if you can lure him, lure him into showing you the secret of his great strength. We know how the story goes. One time, he lies to him, gets up. It's great. Victory. I still got it. Victory. I'm in the lap of a prostitute. But victory. woohoo Two times. Got away with it again. Rouses his strength. Three times. Victory. Fourth time is when it was over. If we knew how many times, it'd be one thing, wouldn't it? If we knew that we can mess around with sin and on number X is where destruction is, so one minus, one before that is when I'm going to stop, we don't know where that line is. We don't know when we will lose our sight. We don't know when we will lose the very presence of God off of our lives because we went one time too far. I would say it was more than three because if you look, his entire story is him getting in the vineyard and it's all the way through his life because that's the way his heart really was. Turn uh, down in that same chapter, verse 23. Now the rulers of the Philistines assembled to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon, Blech. their God, and to celebrate, saying, Our God has delivered Samson, our enemy, into our hands. The enemies of God get to rejoice when we don't uphold the boundary stones that God has placed in our life. They rejoice over our failings. Have you ever had somebody just rejoice when you made a mistake at work? <laughs> I mean, we expect, we all are much worse than this, but ooh, you got all angry. I've had it happen. Why? Because they weren't expecting Wade to get mad. They rejoice. Verse 24, when the people saw him, they praised their God, saying, our God has delivered our enemy into our hands. The one who laid waste our land and multiplied our slain. Verse 25, while they were in high spirits, they shouted, bring out Samson to entertain us. So they called Samson out of the prison and he performed for them. When they stood him among the pillars, Samson said to the servant who held his hand, put me where I can feel the pillars that support the temple so that I may lean against them. Samson is such a cautionary tale, but you know what I love about the ending of his life? He reestablished the boundary stones those pillars, those immovable things. He said, you know what? I'm without sight, but perhaps if I can remind myself of where these pillars in my life are, perhaps the very things that will now cause my end were the things that I should have been holding on to the whole time. I see this ending as not only restoration because he kills more Philistines in that moment than his entire life, but it puts him back between the pillars. It puts him back in the proper place for allowing God's boundary stones to to speak, to resonate in his life once more. What what are the boundary stones that we've moved? Uh, Let me rephrase that. Do you have boundary stones that you have moved? It's easy when it's we, isn't it? Well, we, I don't know what we did. 
but I'm asking you what you have done. Are there things in, in your life that God has clearly set and you just thought you'd nudge them? Are there things in your life where you thought and you've taken the, the victories that you've won in battles or mean that you're winning the war? Perhaps you're losing the war and don't even know it yet. What does this look like in everyday life to reestablish boundary stones? I'm going to ask Nick to come up. Uh, we have a testimony from prison this morning. Matt, you guys can come on up while he's doing that. I heard the testimony this morning and I was like, Nick, would you please come up and share this because it fits. Knowing that Samson was where we wanted to end today, I think it fits perfectly. Um, and then we'll pray together. So we had something unusual happen today. Uh, as we went into the prison, we uh, our services got separated, and we ended up having two services, um, about 45 minutes each. And uh, the first service, uh, we had about 22. It went really well. The second service, uh, after everyone had filed out, one man came in, and then they closed the door. And the service had one man in it. And we said, hey, what's your name? He said, my name's Dennis. And we said, Dennis, how, how did this happen? Uh, this has never happened before that we've just had one person in here. And uh, he said, look, I, I just went to Houston and I just got in here. Um, I had some traffic tickets on my record from 2010 before I was born again. And I've been spending time the last 12 months uh, training to be a minister. And I came back and I got thrown in here. And uh, I've been trying to witness in this prison. I've been trying to witness to the people around me, uh, but I haven't had the power to do so. Um, and we said, Dennis, the Lord truly does reward those who seek truth and who seek to please the Lord with all their heart. Amen. He has moved, <laughs> he has moved these guards to do something that they've never done before so that you can get a personal opportunity to be in the deep presence of God with us and so that the Lord will speak to you this morning. Amen. 20 minutes later, Dennis is filled with the Holy Spirit. He's filled with power. He's shouting in other tongues. It's just like Acts 1.8 says, wait here for the Holy Spirit to come in power and you will be my witnesses. Amen. You see, Dennis desired truth. He desired truth above all. And the Lord moved heaven and earth so that he could be with us and get what he needed. Is that your desire today? There are boundary stones that the Lord has put in your life that are not to move. But there are also boundary stones that you have put in your own life that the Lord has not put there, that he's calling you to move this morning. Boundary stones that he wants to illuminate to you. Just like Samson, he was able to feel the boundary stones again and act upon them. But what did he do? He shoved them out. He broke them. He pushed them out farther than they had been before. What are the boundary stones that you have put in your own life that are preventing you from getting what you need for the next step? Think on that as we worship. Amen. Let's go ahead and stand.